Good evening and welcome back to Editing Aloud. I have with me a panel of South Africa's best and most thoughtful journalists at a time when the RAND has been tanking. Ron Darby, is this the end of Ramaphoria? Everything uh, that we thought uh, December's election had won us, we've now lost. Uh, but I don't think it's Ramaphoria. Maybe Ramaphoria has saved us from the worst of the, of the fallout that's happened over the past week. You know, Argentinian, uh, well, we don't, I don't know if we should talk about the Argentinian currency in any uh, serious forum. But, uh, I mean, it saved us in this instance. It's only down about 3% last I checked since Ramaphosa was appointed uh, the ANC president. Uh, over the past month, it is, it is amongst the, the worst four. But if we do over the over the six months, I mean, Ramaphoria has helped us in a sense, so it's cushioned the blow. But uh, emerging markets are in, are in a, a spot of bother with the the Fed tomorrow. Is it tomorrow or later on this evening, raising interest rates, and that will affect uh, all emerging market currencies. And at least our politics are not being discussed when people are talking about selling selling emerging markets. They're, they're highlighting Turkey. They're highlighting again, as I said, Argentina. And there's another another country just emerged on, on the radar. But South African politics are not being discussed. And I was telling, I was thinking, if, if uh, well, we always go back to what what could have happened. But if our politics was that bad, there would be highlighted there that look, there's a. Uh, Jacob Zuma and his uh, ruling by what, by proxy in the country and so on. So that is the one saving grace. Ramaphoria has given us some cushion. Although the riot being the most liquid, amongst the most liquid emerging uh, currencies, when people sell anything risk, uh, risky, the riot is going to be hit hard. Let's just hope from this politics, I mean, from this Ramaphoria, uh, there actually is some action. But in truth, uh, maybe we're being too hard on him. There has been action, right? There has been lots of. Sikunati, has there been enough there. action? Is, is this all about the world or is this about us? It's definitely about the world. But here's one thing. Uh, investors will always find the best in any situation. Now, our mining guys, are they crying because the range is weakening? No, not at all. That gold price has suddenly uh, become a whole lot better. Uh, the rand price of gold, the platinum price of gold. So th th there are many positives here. Uh, th th that's the one thing. But uh, in terms of the state, has anything happened? It's the best 120 days of a president we've ever had. Uh, Cyril Ramaphosa came in, cleaned the road out of ESCOM, cleaned the road out of Transnet. And, 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 and what we do need, of course, to complete all of that is an arrest or two. Just mm, one. Just man. one good court case. <laughs> just yeah. One, yeah. one arrest uh, or, or make it three then. Good. Take uh, a few more, but yes, as you say, the first one will I'd be the I'd actually best prefer one. it if the first person to be arrested is Sean Abrams. For, <laughs> Seems for, very for, like optimistic. Well, yeah, that's very optimistic. <laughs> like, why? Like, what are we yes, charging for, him? For treason, the election of, uh, yeah. for treason, for dereliction of duty. Mm. Uh, uh, you, you, there's no way with this kind of evidence that we have had, not a single arrest, and the, the, the one that we have seen at Estina is really being cocked up deliberately. Or very top level. So, yeah. so does that seem yeah. likely, given that we haven't even arrested Marcus Euster? It uh, seems very unlikely. I was going to say, there's such a choice yeah. of candidates yeah. we'd yeah. like <laughs> to see let off to jail. It's kind of quite awesome. But yes. it's the best 120 days. The rand weakening now is really not such a big deal. And, and there are, as I have said, many benefits to it. Yes, of course, we cannot deny the fact that there are negatives, including the fuel price and all of that. But... Uh, Looking on the upside. The, yes, there's yes. always an opportunity, and I am a trader by training, so there's always an opportunity to, uh, uh, to harvest here. Speaking of ESCOM, though, um, 
We've got Eskom offering its workers a 0% increase and they are threatening to go out on strike. We've got South African Airways shedding people. Are we finally seeing the tough decisions being made at the ailing state-owned entities that we were hoping would turn them around? Rob? Uh, I, th I think so. I mean, uh, this is very vital for ESCOM to have said to them 0%. Um, the unions don't like it. I think they've, they've suggested a range of 9 to 12% as a negotiating position. But fundamentally, ESCOM has been overstaffed for years. Sikonati wrote a great column about it in this week's Financial Mail. They've been overstaffed for years, and the alternative really is cutting staff. I mean, do you, do you as a trade union, your motivation is to go there and, and lobby for higher wages. But if the alternative reality is you're losing a lot of jobs to sustain this, uh, we can't have Eskom coming to the taxpayer every every couple of minutes because they've wasted money. So that's the reality as well with SAA. So the public sector wage negotiation um, targets, that was 30 billion more than people expected. And I think Fitch raised that this week, or uh, the IMF raised that this week. So there are issues around how we deal with our state-owned employees, and, and those decisions have to be made, and this is the start. The workers are arguing, though, at Eskom that uh, why should they pay for the corruption and the mismanagement that has been happening at Eskom? Why should they pay for it by not getting salary increases? I, I'm glad so you what got it a 0% increase. It's better than a decrease. It's better than a 0% decrease. Look, uh, the, the reality of the matter is indeed the workers themselves cannot be blamed for Eskom uh, uh, massively inflating uh, the job numbers, the staff in order to create the jobs that uh, the private sector failed to create because we know why, uh, they, they cannot be blamed for that. However, f a progressive trade unionists, and they really definitely need to be part of the solution rather than perpetuate the problem. And that, that, that's where we are. So, uh, the NUMSA, of course, uh, they, they get paid to extract money subscription fees from the union members that uh, they are going now to lose. Uh, that, that's just tough. That's what life is. Uh, do you want to be part of the solution or do you want to drag the whole nation down forever? In the short term, the mm. Rondobi or the light's going to stay on. Uh, they will. I, I think they're they doing the differentiation between the employees there that are, what, what's that? Uh, the that public unit employees. Yes, and yeah. those that have to stay on duty. So I, I don't think that the lights would go off. But uh, I mean, the, the, the fact is, ESCOM just does not have any, any money to bargain with here. Yeah. And NUMSA has to come to the table and, and find some arrangement uh, of how the, going forward they deal with this issue around on funding, around the organization's sustainability. I mean, for so long we've called on the main shareholder government to bail this thing out, but now stakeholders within ESCOM need to sit down and say, okay, how do we keep this thing running as a going concern? And I think this is the moment. I think the board must must, must be strong about it. I mean, the idea that Rob is talking about 9 to 12%, and they're sitting at 0%. I mean, if they're talking now bringing down to like 4% increases, at least I know there's some level of conversation or some... I have, a suspicion, I have a suspicion, actually, that, that, that markets are watching the outcome of this battle yeah. as a signal of whether the mm. state in general and Eskom in particular are willing to make tough decisions. Yeah. Um, do, you think, do you think this issue, if you like, has an importance beyond the, the, the kind of immediate yeah. issue of, of Eskom's own wage increases? I, I think that it, it definitely is a precursor and a harbinger, I suppose, of, of what will decrease, mm. increase. I think it's a, it's a harbinger of, of how they're going to be dealing with state-owned companies in future. They're going to say we're going to need to restructure these entities, specifically SAA, and we're going to have to take hard decisions. And we are overcapacitated. We have too many staff. 
you know, the, the statistics you saw of, um, you know, passengers per, per staff member, gigawatts per staff member compared to other utilities across the world, it's, it's, it's a precursor to restructuring at our state-owned companies, which is necessary if we want to keep our government guarantees, our debt at state-owned companies within acceptable levels to get the economy on back, back on track in a way that will increase our rating back to, to um, investment grade. But also like a lesson that bondholders control countries. Like this is why I'm sure uh, the people who give uh, ESCOM funding are the ones calling the shots now. Like literally saying that hey, this is, if you, if you buckle on this, we're not giving you further funding. And, and All that funding is going to salaries in, in any case. So they're like, we're not giving you more money to pay towards and, salaries. And, and absolutely, that's, that, that's, so that, that's the beauty about the market mm. is that the bondholders call the shots. Yeah, and now and, they and, uh, was it Bill Clinton's advisor who said uh, the most powerful man in the world is the bond market? Yeah. Uh, but now we don't want to say this out very loud we don't want the yeah, trade unions yeah, to yeah. hear this but yeah. ESCOM is really at a disadvantage at this very point uh, in terms of if the trade unions uh, the non-core staff do indeed carry out their threat and say we'll shut it down it's, it's in a precarious position in the sense that it, has, it does not have enough coal uh, it does not it, it cannot exactly sustain a confrontation uh, with the workers and it's it's coming at a rather awkward time. Had I been a, a manager at ESCOM, I would definitely stock up first, make sure I've got all the coal I need and take them on and, and win this this fight. But this is not what even the biggest. What are the stockpiles at now? Aren't there 20 days? They are, they, they are struggling. There are seven power stations that don't have enough coal and you don't want to go into a, into a confrontation. Don't have enough stockpiles. Stockpiles. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to go into a situation, a, a confrontation with your employees when you are short, already short of, of coal stocks going into this. So they'll, they'll be fighting from the back foot. But, in the but so will the union. Because, I mean, my, yeah. my, my experience of Eskom was that the w workers routinely did threaten to strike, knowing full well that a strike that by Eskom workers is absolutely illegal and that they stand to lose their jobs. Um, Eskom often caved in in the past. But um, I don't think there's been an Eskom strike in my memory. There's a lot of placard waving, but not necessarily There, there a definitely has been a, a few people throwing uh, rocks and dumping coal in front of the, of the head of and, and then they go back to work three hours later. That's going to be the case now. If you're quite now. well paid, why would you want but to lose they, yeah. your job? But has ESCOM management given the workers like a five-year outlay? Okay, this year is zero percent, maybe. Have they given them a... The, the trade unions demanded a one-year wage agreement. One year. And, and, mm. and ESCOM responded to the one-year wage okay. agreement. Yeah, with a zero percent increase. <laughs> 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 it's, actually a, it's a good point, though, Ron. Yeah. I mean... I mean uh, if, if one wanted to have the kinds of negotiations with mm, workers yes. that Seco is talking about, mm. um, where you have progressive unions who take on, on the issues of the sector, not mm. just their own very yeah. short-term issues, yeah. you would want to be talking, in fact, long-term yeah, long um, yeah. negotiations, but you yeah. also yeah. long-term settlements, which would be about perhaps more than just wages, mm. which yes. would be about productivity. Well, even that retrenchment applies, was like, it's clear. Like, mm. We finished building uh, exactly. the group, we're finishing Zikusile, so there is... Retrenchment that will come with that. And, so and anyway, like painted forward. To look, the, those people that are building the two power stations look, are not the forty-seven thousand people that work at ESCOM. Those are additional people employed by contractors. But there's one thing we can't uh, we can't finish this discussion before actually a, a sustainable solution, not only for ESCOM, but for this country in general. Uh, workers deserve their representative deserve at least a third of the seats on the board. The, 
because if that were the case, everybody receiving the same information at the same time and no, and no one thinking we are being, don't know if I can use this word on air, we are being screwed. Uh, but uh, if you had at least a third of the board members representing workers, we would not have these many problems, not only in the state, definitely in the private sector. And it has been done before in many countries and they are still doing it now. Why can't South Africa do that? Because What's the answer, Rob? Mm. Let me, yeah. let me, oh, let me ask Rob, the, is this feasible? the answer. I think it is feasible. I think you could do it. It has, it has been tried overseas. I mean, the, the problem is to get, now. the problem is to get, is to get the unions thinking beyond just a narrow factionalism yeah. to look at the sustainability of the enterprise in the longer term. So, I mean, a third of the board seats, I think it's, it has, you have to get workers on board to a greater sense. They're the greatest stakeholder. Yeah. I'm going to give Ron the last, the awesome. last word like, to Ron. I agree, German model works, but in South Africa, where there's this huge distrust between management and workers, where it's like literally white black. Even if you take a few, uh, like, uh, union members on, onto the board, pretty much like the, the mining industry before uh, Marikana, the uh, NUM, was basically uh, part of the board. Include NUM became part of the of management. And we're going to come back to yeah, this. We'll we're going to come back to this after the break. Welcome back. Um, in the UK, new rules on executive pay have. Um, force companies to disclose the gap between what uh, executives get paid and what the average worker gets paid. And uh, speaking of pay in our context, in our context with 0% increases, Rob Rose, would that be an appropriate rule to introduce in a South African context? And would it help with well, these kind of conflicts over wages? I think, I think that those are two different issues. I mean, is it an appropriate rule? Certainly the US is doing it now and, and, the, and the UK is doing it now. They thought that what it would do is help curb the most excessive increases for executives. Um, it's in, in the Australian context, their, their rule, where if shareholders reject your pay by more than 25% for two years running, um, then all shareholders get to vote on an entirely new board. That, that has proven effective. The, the academic research says that it's, it's led to some companies just not pushing through massive salary increases. Um, I do think that the shaming mechanism of executive pay does work to some extent um, by saying the CEO is earning 4,000 times what his, what his employee makes. But ultimately, I just don't know if that's a useful metri metric in terms of understanding how things operate. There are all kinds of dynamics that go into why people get paid what they're paid. Um, and it's a very blunt instrument. But I suppose the perception that we have consultants who go there and sell massive increases to CEOs are completely unjustified. One of the f figures I found fascinating was this graph that showed companies where the CEOs get paid below the median um, versus those who get paid above the median. And the ones who get paid below the median were doing much better in terms of company performance. The company share prices are going far higher. So it's not as if, you know, when you pay your CEO ludicrous amounts of money that the CEO performs better. That certainly has broken that link, I think. Would it address inequality in South Africa? I don't think it, I don't think it would address inequality at all. I mean, that's a tiny part. Somebody made this point yesterday, and it was a very valid point, is that the, the real problem with inequality in this country is not so much the gap between somebody earning 10,000 rand a month and somebody earning a million rand a month. It's more the people earning 10,000 rand a month and people earning zero. Unemployment at 27%, that's the problem in the society. That's where inequality comes from. People don't have jobs, they have nothing. So that's the real thing we need to address. On the, on the fringes, um, certainly curbing executive pay might help in inequality, but the real big issue in our society is joblessness. 
So if, if, if one, if one forced people to show the gap between executive pay and, and average worker pay, um, it would reflect inequality run among those who are employed, but it wouldn't really yeah. do terribly much to tackle unemployment. No, it won't. It will be us, um, those that are employed, and, and within the 60-odd the percent of us who, are, who aren't really like the problem, and, but it wouldn't deal with the un underlying unemployment issue. So. But it would be a nice highlight just to see how the difference between um, in high, high pay in South Africa amongst us as well. It would be a nice highlight. Yes. It and, it, and it would serve to embarrass, I guess, Terence Goodlace, the CEO at Implats, he, he, the former CEO, mm. he published the ratio between his staff members and his own pay, and he took a far lower salary as a result. But he was the only executive who did it, mm. Um, mm. and he did take a lower salary. And, and he, he and rejected he, all bonuses. Yeah, and I'm not. Sh did he, he reject did. all bonuses? Yeah, and the point is that bonus. he said, "I'm thinking about these issues. Yeah. I'm thinking about what this means, what my staff members earn." So, as, as a, so as, a kind of a, as a signal to your staff that you you do think about these issues, and some degree of equity is, is necessary in a business. It's an important signal to your staff, I think. Sekonati, does this, in a sense, link to that that very it, that it, very same kind of thinking of possibly putting worker representatives on the board? It absolutely does. It absolutely does. Executive pay gets decided by the board. And, and when Ron talks about a uh, distrust, it's exactly because the workers are not there. Decisions are being made on their behalf by boards in which they are not represented. That's the, that, that's the whole thing. That, that, that's what causes the distrust. You need to put them in there. They're the biggest stakeholder in the business, after all, uh, employees. Mm. So you need to put them on there and let them decide what their bosses will get paid. That, that, that's that's and where exactly. But they will get paid. Yes, and then the workers themselves, what they will that get paid. That is the fundamental that, problem. When it came to mining in this country, you, you get you got like uh, pre Marikana. I don't know, probably still the same thing right now, right? Where you get your union members basically becoming part of the board. No, no, not officially. They the are. The company paid for. Yeah, the company you know paid for them. That yeah. They lose that, that, with their members. That so is the basically, danger. they played along with what, what, what management was saying. Whatever they they're there for the workers, supposed to be there for the workers. They didn't they didn't deliver their core function. Mm. And anyway, in this country where there's a clear divide between workers and management, where management just is what the term umlungula, and then and the rest of us. Until you make you there's some level of of one vision amongst all of us, it's not going to work. Germany works vision. perfectly, but Germany is different. Germany has that, they had 1945, whatever it may be, after World War II, Which so they have everyone, to everyone together at the same level. Good. Yeah, hasn't happened. So how do you, that distrust, you can put, uh, you can put all, all your unionists that, in, in a board. Then, in let's a board. do nothing I don't about think it that, just kill No, no, on. I'm not saying do nothing. <laughs> I'm going to let Ron finish, give you one more word before we there's move a bigger, on. Before you even do that, there's a bigger fundamental of getting us all to sing in one, on one hymn sheet. Germany, clear, oh, so it's easy for Germany to do it. In uh, Japan, I'm sure it happened, right? But in this country, we almost need to first sing off one hymn sheet, and then you can trust. Then I would trust as a worker that my union representative on that board isn't selling me out. One last word on yeah. the subject. G guess why we are not singing from the hem same hymn sheet? Because the others are shouting from outside, uh, inside at management. They can only wave their placards from outside. When you bring them inside into the board with their members, there will exactly be no need for, for the others to be outside and shout in. They will all be here and be bound by the same decisions, the best interests of the company, and those are mm. the best interests of the employees. We're going to agree to disagree yeah, on this one, but... <laughs>
Yes. Siga, I'm going to take you on to something which is related, which is that in this country we've gone a different route, which is we've, we've gone the black economic empowerment route. We've brought black share, we have not brought workers into the board and only to a limited extent to, to shareholdings in companies, but we have brought black people in broad-based or narrow-based forms into um, the boards and the shareholdings. Um, Vodacom has just done a new BEE deal, which looks a little bit more innovative than most. Is this a deal which is addressing some of the flaws that these deals have had in the past? It, it absolutely is a, is, is a brilliant deal, but it's replacing an even better deal. In 2008, Vodacom did the Yebo Yetu transaction. Now, people that invested there, 60% of the 102,000 people, 531 that invested in that deal, 60% of them could only afford the minimum 2,500 rands. Uh, now, that's 100 uh, Yebo Yetu shares each. Those shares that they bought for 2,500 are today worth 12,500 rands, and they will remain invested and receive uh, in October a special dividend of 68 rand. Now, show me anything that has delivered value to the ordinary person on the street, not the well-connected usual suspects and everything. 102,000 South Africans, black South Africans participated, and this is the best foundation uh, to build on which to build wealth. Uh, Vodacom is extending the deal at group level and, and it aims at, uh, it's aiming at a 20% black shareholding from the current 17. And the best part about that deal was it was not exposed to the share price of, of Vodacom. It was exposed to the cash flows at group level. Sorry, at, at, at the local South African operation. That was the best thing. Unlike, unfortunately, the Sasol one, which was heavily reliant on the oil price and the share price, that did absolute, that, that delivered absolutely no value. Sasol, uh, good for them, they have again refinanced that deal on, on terms better than, than, than the previously, and they are doing it exactly now into, into the operations of the company, into Sasol mining and into the local operations, like Vodacom did. And uh, there the, the is hope you will have another, another 200,000 people uh, in the case of Sasol that participated for the 10 years got nothing, but they've got a new shot in the arm. Are we doing these BEE deals better, Rob Rose? Because we can list yeah. how many of them have gone horrendously wrong in the past. Yeah, I mean, initially black empowerment deals and companies failed badly. I mean, Nail is, is the primary example of a company that folded. But this particular deal, like Sekinati says, I think basing on cash flows of the South African entity, the underlying operating cash flows, is a much better way of doing it than share price, because share prices move up and down and, and, and do crazy things. Um, and Sasol's operating cash flow wasn't as variable as its, as its share price. That would have been a much better way to do it. I think people are thinking more about it to a greater extent. Pinning it, um, in a sense, closer to the operations yeah. themselves rather to, than to markets. So, so, of course, the push initially for BE was at a market kind of level. People wanted mm. equity and they wanted equity market returns. And I suppose we, I mean, is there enough of a rethink going on about uh, what BEE should look like? Yeah, I don't think it's enough of a rethink. I think a lot of companies um, just, just are sitting back and thinking, once empowered, always empowered. We've done our deals. We're not going to do any more. And I think maybe, maybe there's room for them to certainly do more. But I, I think there is some innovation within the actual deals. This deal, Vodacom, and I think, for example, Standard Bank's deal, 
dealing with the SMEs, you know, doing deals with the SME providers was, was a smart one. It's thinking rather than just conventionally just take money in and, hey, we've got like black empowerment shielding of 20%, we can claim these points. It's about actually empowering your, your, your communities, the people who supply to you in Standard Bank's case. And, and the same thing, the same thing. They've empowered a lot yeah. of people with the beer. Actually, when, when, I mean, rather than the sort of rather formulaic approach, Ron, to, to via codes and so on, a lot of innovation and a lot of creativity has gone into some of the beta deals. I mean, is there, is there a way of distilling all the good stuff to create new deals? Uh, I think we, we're still learning, but it's, it's a, I mean, uh, the, the, the telecom chairman had this example for us where how be is so complex in this country still where they have, uh, they want to buy fiber for this, uh, this outlay of what, copper fiber, yeah, for this uh, mm. outlay, fiber networks. fiber networks and so on. One of the, the, the suppliers is a white company, but employs 600 odd and, and the majority of black employees. The other is one woman who just imports the copper from China and sells it on. But if they give a deal to her, they great point, they get the all the points, points. And, and instead of giving it to, to this guy, although it has a bigger impact giving it to him, right? So, but. I think we are sitting there, and there's the better companies, Sassholes and so on, are looking for better ways of finding some sustainable solution towards these BE deals. By the same token, not uh, producing, as a black investor, when I get, a, get into a BE deal, I won't be able to sell and, and, and make my profit and leave when I want to leave. I don't want to be locked in for 10 years. And that I guess the big thing. So how do I, as a black investor, get a share in a company and leave when I want to and make my capital gains whenever I want? At the same, not hurts in the company. I think that is fundamentally what we have to find an answer for uh, how does a black person get in and go out as, as he pleases. So I think that no one has quite got a hold you on go to the a solution. Okay. I hope not anymore. Those yeah. are, but didn't we start by talking about to see in jail first. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but I can't let, let this opportunity go. We have the World Cup, the, the Football World Cup opening um, this week in Russia. Uh, of all places. So it seems to go from one corrupt regime to the next, <laughs> Russia followed by Qatar. Um, who are you supporting, Sikonati? World Cup, what's World that? Cup, football, okay. Oh, he's a lost That's cause. That's Ron Darby. Ron Darby, who are you Senegal. supporting? <laughs> <laughs> Senegal. Yeah, I'm, I'm going with, uh, with Egypt, although I shouldn't go for North African countries. I have an issue with Morocco, but I'll go with Egypt and I'll go with, uh, with again, Germany. I don't know. Come on, there's Nigeria. Yeah, no, Nigeria. Senegal. No, no, no. And you, and you, like, you, you like can't Chips support Pirates. Liverpool there, unfortunately. Yeah. It has to be Senegal. It can't be Nigeria. And yeah. like Ron said, you know, the North African countries are the ones that, that voted against us, South Africa, the host yeah, of them, so and they, an you know, they, there's, there's a lot of ugliness and so... Well, if and you look at the performance of Bafana Bafana, you possibly can't blame them, you know? Oh. Yeah, we've only played in two World Cups. It's, it's, yeah. it's quite a lot, given... Qualified for one. Qualified for one. Yeah. Yeah. For one. No, qualified for two. Nineteen ninety-eight and two thousand and two qualified, and then we bought the two thousand and ten. Oh. We were there, so we three World the Cups, three, three World Cups. Cost us thirty-three billion to buy the rights. Yeah, we bought. Okay, we bought the last one. I still billion. think we should have actually done a lot more with this two thousand and ten World Cup. I mean, the infrastructure yeah. catalyst that it provided mm. got us some roads, got us the train. We'll get better. Got we'll us some back. buses. I'm, I think we should have actually yeah. spent more than. I'm still a Bafana supporter. I haven't given up. One day. Good. We'll I got set a whole lot more though. So. <laughs> <laughs> We get sickest prediction. No, I, I, I have no prediction to make, absolutely. Oh, well, I do. Bafana Bafana will not score a goal. <laughs> wow. That's all we have time for. Happy, happy football watching if you're a fan. And we will see you again next week.